0: You're listening to a special episode of the Everything Life Coaching Podcast, Coaching Mastery with Noelle Cordo, CEO of Lumia. Explore transformative coaching concepts, tried-and-true methodologies, and powerful insights from the front lines of the professional coaching field. Whether you're an established coach seeking fresh perspectives or looking to begin your coach training education, welcome to your one-stop resource for all things life coaching. This is Coaching Mastery. Today we're going to talk about empathetic feedback and this is a technique that we actually use inside of Lumia Coaching, inside of the actual organization that we run. This is the the process that I run with all of the employees of our organization and we do things a little bit differently when it comes to feedback. And this is an effective process. And I wanted to share it with folks, because it really works uh, in a lot of different ways to support engagement and belonging and to help everyone get their brains back online into fighting form when we actually need to solve problems at work. So without further ado, let's see what we're getting into. So, what, what is feedback? Um, feedback that we're talking about um, for our purposes today is not day in and day out conversations. But we're talking about feedback that's required for someone to gain awareness that one of their behaviors that's showing up or perhaps a lack Of action, perhaps someone didn't do something that they were supposed to do, or there has been an incident or a pattern or something that someone has done has created an impact that is harmful. I'm going to go back through and replay all that language. When someone has a behavior that's not helpful, when someone has not taken action, when there has been an incident, a pattern, or something else that has created an impact that is harmful. What you might notice about all of the language that I just used is that none of it was specific to a person. It was all about things that the person has done, their behavior, an incident, a pattern. We're not personalizing the language, and that's important to understand up front. And here, we're looking at um, the difference between empathetic feedback and punitive feedback. So there are a couple of things to keep in mind here. Um, when we're thinking about empathetic feedback in, in an empathetic society, what we really want to do is we want to raise someone's awareness of like, oh, this thing is harmful and create an opportunity for course correction. Um, In a punitive society, which is the society that we all live in, punitive feedback is everywhere. Um, Punitive feedback leads someone to the feelings of being wrong. You did something wrong. You did something wrong, right? Um, And this may lead to punishment, to reprimand, to poor feelings, uh, fear, fear of ostracization from the group. Um, And it's not helpful, bottom line. (laughs) So implicit in this, um, it may seem like it is a simple idea for people to embrace awareness and course correct. But in reality, we live in a punitive society where all of us, every single one of us have been socialized to do things the right way. And when there's a mistake or a misstep, most of us have been socialized to expect punishment, admonishment, poor feelings, fear, or possibly to be ostracized from whatever group we're a part of. So, When I developed this process, I was thinking about how people behave at work, but this is also really um, aligned with how we function in family systems, how we function in friend groups. How we function in in pretty much any group that we might be a part of, like a gym or a knitting circle, there are in every single group implicit rules of behavior that sometimes people violate. It turns out that a punitive approach is not a productive way to help for folks learn and grow and experience psychological safety. And when we do the reverse. When we give folks the experience of psychological safety, um, what we are doing is building in an expectation that people will be treated fairly and with dignity, which is the opposite of a punitive approach or, or the opposite of what our brains and bodies are expecting when we brace for the shock of a punitive response. So this is um, Todd Kashtan. Todd wrote um, The Art of Insubordination, the book, which my coffee is currently sitting on, and it's right next to me because I'm using it right now um, to write a proposal for an organization that we're working with. And what's important to know about this psychological safety, um, that phrase, why it has been so popularized in society is... Um, 2019, New York Times did a a big write-up on Google's Aristotle study. And Google's Aristotle study was able to demonstrate that psychological safety was one of the key ingredients for innovation. And when all of that Work was published around the Aristotle study. What is also important to know that Cashdan has written widely about is that they only reported fifty percent of the equation. The other fifty percent of the recipe that's actually required for innovation is belonging. And next, I'm going to show you how these two concepts fit together. So, what is belonging? It's it's nuanced. It includes everything from knowing that your thoughts and ideas will be heard and considered to having your contributions to whatever relationship you're engaged in, whether it's work or at home or a friend group, that your contributions are going to be respected. Belonging is also um, the experience of having your, your whole self, your identity um, available to you. In whatever space that you're in without fear of disapproval. Belonging is also being treated with respect and dignity. So going back, psychological safety and belonging, how do these two pieces fit together? Okay, so psychological safety is a safe environment. And over the last between 2019 and 2023, we've seen a lot of DEI work. um, come to the fore on what it means to exist in a psychologically safe environment. And then the belonging piece really has to do with freedom of expression. Knowing that when you speak, when you contribute, when you share your ideas, you're not only seen as this whole person, but the difference implicit in your ideas are going to be welcomed and truly considered and not just dismissed. This is a really important concept to sit with because the way humans are socialized is to function in what we call in-groups and out-groups. In-groups are homogeneous. They share one characteristic, one idea, one way of thinking, and an out-group is is a new idea, represents difference, diversity, uh, new ideas, and innovation. So, humans, just by nature of the way that we're socialized as a species, tend to go for the homogeneous in-group approach. And so, it's actually pushing against our genetic wiring to open our brains to the behaviors that are implicit and required um, for belonging. We all make mistakes. It's just true. We all have triggers. And we all have things um, that make us uncomfortable. And as we go through life together in groups of people, it is a universal human tendency to want to hide, fight, or avoid when we experience disappointment, fear, or discomfort. So that's one of the things that has to go into this pot that we're cooking on the table is that all of us have stress responses. And part of being in a supportive environment or a relationship that allows us to bravely push through the discomfort, to harness accountability and do things differently is what ultimately... Allows us to grow and learn. And this is an idea that's implicit in coaching. Think about what it's like when we work with a client. We actually do an audit. You know, what's working? What's not working? What do you want to keep? What do you want to pull forward into the future? And at the bottom of the pile is what do you need to do differently in order to accomplish your goal? So, from a coaching perspective, that question of what do you need to do differently is celebrated. We love it. Coaches are are great with that question. Take it into a group of people when a mistake happens, and you're going to get a very different response because of the way that we've been punitively conditioned to in-group, out-group, and to have a little bit of um, an aversion to doing things differently, that we're afraid that if you tell someone they're doing things differently, uh, they're going to get mad at you, or if you have done something differently, or you made a mistake that you're you're going to get in trouble for it. So at Lumia, uh, because we are a coach training institution, we take our own medicine as an institution. And I'm going to give you a, next up a little bit of a lens into psychodynamics around why having conversations where you need to give feedback about a mistake or something that should have happened differently are so gosh darn hard. Our brains have three three layers. There's three parts to them. And uh, as we evolved in humans... As humans, we didn't just grow a new brain. What actually happened is all of the different layers of the brain grew on top of each other. So, starting with the reptilian brain, um, that's our most primitive complex. That was our first brain that was developed. This is 500 million years old, it governs binary drives. Like avoiding danger to stay alive. It drives binary thinking that categorizes things as good or bad or dangerous or safe, um, and it moves very, very, very fast. Um, the fact that this part of the brain moves so fast, it's known as system one thinking. System one thinking is fast effortless. There is no self-awareness in system one thinking. It's uncontrolled and it's totally automatic. And this is a good thing because every single one of us are here today because our ancestors were really good at avoiding danger. Thank you, system one thinking. Is this thing going to kill me? That's the fundamental question at the root of the way our reptilian brain functions: binary, good, bad, danger, safe. Um, and it's um, it. The reptilian brain is, even though it is five hundred million years old, those drives to stay alive are so ingrained in us that they pop up um, all the time. I saw a meme a couple of weeks ago that said, how can I get my brain to understand um, that? Yes, well, my fight or flight response is intact. This email isn't going to kill me. And that's what we're talking about here is the response that we have. The second part of our brain is the limbic system. And this is where our emotions are stored. It's known as our emotional headquarters. This is where our emotions are are organized. All emotions, every single flavor of emotions. We experience a palette of up to 200 available emotions at any point in time. This is the part of our brain that right now in 2023 is running the show most of the time. For better, for worse, because as a species, we have not yet evolved enough to learn how to harness the awareness of our neocortex and make decisions. Um, about what part of our brain would be most useful to us at any given time? We, uh, as John says, we react to our environments rather than we respond to our environment. So it's not like we have a drop-down menu that says, "Do you want reptilian, limbic, or neocortex in this moment?" That would be helpful. Um, the limbic system is 200 million years old, and it is also on the same automatic response system of system one thinking. So this is, again, no self-awareness, moves very fast. And this is why, as coaches, it's important for us to be aware of how gosh darn present our emotions are for us at any given time, because we and our clients will often mistake an emotional response for concrete information in the world. And so one of the things that we do as coaches is bust through the barriers that exist between feelings and facts. Now in a situation like the one that we're talking about where someone is about to give or receive feedback, you know all of this goes out the window and we're just feeling our feelings, right? Um so finally That If we did have that drop down for what part of our brain do we want to use, we'd want to be using our neocortex. Our neocortex is up here. It is the newest part of the brain. It is our rational brain. It is 100 million years old and has given our species the gift of system two thinking. 100 million years is a long time, yes, and it's also very new. So, we haven't really gotten the hang of this whole system two thinking because it's slow, it's effortful, it uses awareness, and it's controlled, and it is reflective. So, as we're considering, well, how does this all work? System one thinking, which is our am I going to die drives and System 1 is also all of our emotions, um, these are not terribly useful for navigating the complexities of modern life. System 2, however, is very, very, very useful for navigating modern life because it's aware, controlled, and reflective. So we have to work a lot harder to harness it. That's the setup for all of this and what does this have to do with feedback everything everything so as we go through our daily lives where we're responding and reacting to emotions we're asking ourselves constantly is this email going to kill me um and we're feeling a lot of feelings and we're generally spun little muffins out there in the world What coaching does as a discipline, all of the different steps that are implicit in the coaching process and in coaching conversations, they slow your brain down enough because there are so many different steps. And even in the art of inquiry, as you're asking questions, call and response, we're putting so many different steps in there that you're slowing your brain down enough to give you a better shot and harnessing the neocortex. System one is our dominant response system. And for hundreds of millions of years, we have been trained to automatically respond to situations that we find threatening. 100 milliseconds or 0.1 second is the amount of time that it takes for a human to determine if something is a perceived threat. Like that email that I keep talking about that is trying to kill us, right? So because of system one, our brain will define for us very fast in an unconscious and automatic way, whether or not we feel safe. So because of this, from an evolutionary perspective, we have learned, we have been socialized, we've been taught since we were little kids that when we do things right, we're safe. And when we do things wrong, we're unsafe. And when you get that feeling of doing something wrong and you're unsafe, it hurts. It's actually painful, it gives us a full body. Physical jolt because what our brains are doing is conjuring the threat of imminent death. The email is not going to kill us, but our brain is trying to, right? So thinking about how this functions in family systems and in work systems, if it takes 0.01 second for someone to feel threatened, wrong death. My God, we are so responsible for creating atmospheres for each other. Um, If feedback around something that could be perceived as doing wrong is not handled with care, the person who is receiving that feedback might immediately feel as if they're not safe. And the outcome there is that when somebody gets backed into that resistance and they're in their limbic and reptilian brain, it's going to be very, very difficult to have an effective conversation that actually gets all parties to a place of understanding. And I'm going to repeat that. When someone begins to feel unsafe, because they are faced with a circumstance of being wrong, it's going to be very difficult to get Someone to a place of understanding, either awareness of what's actually happened or generating ideas and solutions for how to course correct if there's a problem or even for taking accountability, right? That's what causes defensiveness. And it's important to note here that feelings are not a one way street. Um, Folks who deliver the feedback can be just as triggered. (laughs) As the folks who are set to receive the feedback. And so what we recommend and what we do at Lumia is create multi-step systems so that everybody has space and time to chill out through the process and come to understand through repetition and reinforcement that I am safe, I am safe, I am safe, and everyone can come to the table and actually use their big, beautiful neocortex to generate solutions. Um, what coaching does in this in this space is help us ease into the benefits of psychological safety. Coaching frameworks for this type of work I like to describe as bumpers on the bowling lanes of communication, because at its core, coaching is a communication methodology. So how do we do this? Um, When someone makes a mistake, or there's an incident, or there is a harmful pattern that has been detected, it's in the interest of everyone involved in a system to bring the situation to light uh, for, for two things, for support and for course correction. There's a lot of nuance here and not all things are warrant a feedback session. um, And some things are are too egregious to warrant an opportunity for course correction. So I'm just going to offer, use common sense and gauge whether or not whatever it is, is going to cause harm if you leave it unchecked. And that's usually a pretty good measure if you're trying to figure out, you know, Does whatever it is require feedback? Well, if you don't do anything about it, is it going to cause harm or continue to cause harm? So here's the setup. Um, Step one is when you have detected a mistake that has created negative impact or an incident or a pattern, um, step one is to empathy map the person who needs feedback. This is twofold. This supports both the person who's giving the feedback and the person who's receiving the feedback. Because remember, both parties can be equally triggered. So, empathy mapping helps the person giving the feedback tap into compassion and common humanity. We want to ask ourselves, you know, the person who's getting the feedback, how are they doing generally as a whole person? Great question to start with, right? If someone has caused harm, well, how are they doing? This is just humanism, bottom line. Um, What has their life been like? Have they gone through any major changes or stressors? If we don't have this information, we should seek it. Um, When information from a feedback session reaches this person, how are they going to feel? What might they say and do? Do we know our subject? And this empathy map gives you a chance to fill the shoes of the person who needs the feedback and orient yourself into a position of concern for well-being. Because ultimately, that's the goal of restorative practices, coaching, and a generative society. Number two, um, you need to run your own empathy assessment and gather some factual data. So, if, if someone surprised you with their behavior, um, what were you expecting to happen? That's step one. What were you expecting to happen? And then step two is what happened instead? And when you're going for step two, I cannot emphasize enough, it is important to be as factual as possible with the information. Do not project. Stick to real examples, the facts. Uh, A great framework is situation, behavior, impact. What was the situation? What was the factual behavior? What was the factual impact? Um, And then next up is what is the support that might be needed to bridge the gap between your expectation and reality? And that's really important. When I run this with a team, um, let's say there's a project that has gone backwards, and I am surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Because I expected the project to go forwards. So, what's the difference between my expectation and what happened? I don't know. I need to check in with my team. Um, But instead of saying, everyone, this is a mess and I'm so sad and everything is terrible and I'm disappointed and you've done this, that accomplishes nothing. If I came to my team and said, hey, everyone, I'm super surprised. Here's what I expected to happen. This is what happened instead. Can everybody help me? Figure out the difference between my expectation and what actually happened, and so implicit in that, um, I'm fact finding. I'm beginning to generate solutions. I'm asking for support. We're starting to to uncover. You know, this isn't personalized. Um, we're looking at, at broader structures. If you need to do this in an actual feedback session format. Step three is reaching out to the person who needs feedback. It's really important to set an environment of psychological safety. So, somebody needs to know upfront that a feedback session is being requested for the purpose of love, course correction, and growth. Um, This person is not in trouble. That's also super duper important. Um, The purpose of the feedback is to draw awareness to a mistake, an incident, or a pattern so that everyone can course correct and and grow to bridge the gap and walk each other over the bridge from expectation and reality. How did we get here? What do we need to know to move forward in a different way? Because of course, coaching is all about awareness, learning, growing, and moving forward with mutual success and and reassurance, Um, When we go into the outreach process, what I like to do is to explain to folks exactly what's going to go on. We need to have a feedback session about X. You are not in trouble. The goal of the session is to create awareness about a blind spot or impact, and I'm going to give you a detailed rundown of exactly what's going to be discussed So I can prepare you ahead of time. And my goal is to support you and toss out a few dates, right? Um, The reason that I like to give pre-reads to folks is so that they have time to sit with the information. Um, And then I don't deviate from the pre-read because I really want to provide psychological safety of this is is exactly what I'm going to say. And then I go in and I keep my word. I go over exactly what I've promised I'm going to stick to and nothing more, nothing left. Um, so that folks can prepare their responses, their thoughts, and they're not shocked in the moment. Because thinking about system one versus system two, we want to enable system two thinking, which is slower and is also reliant on that limbic system, emotions and reptilian uh, binary thinking, death. We need those those two to kind of calm down a little bit. All right. So here's what we do. In advance of the session, you uh, you go through your empathy map, and you ask the person to come to the table to also prepare some additional solutions to bridge the gap between your expectations and what has occurred. And you want to have some solutions to toss out, too. Uh, you need to be kind and factual in your outline. And even though there has been impact, you are coming to the conversation with the assumption of goodwill. Um, Karen, one of our instructors, likes to say that coaching assumes that people are whole, capable, and good. And I think that that is a wonderful message to deliver in advance of feedback. I'm coming to the table, and I think that in this moment, you are whole, capable, and good. And we are going to figure this out together. Uh, and then you close with a confirmation of the goal, which is solution, support, growth, whatever it is. and It's also going to be important to source um, how your person likes to receive information. Are they visual? Are they auditory? Voice memos are great for auditory people. Um, Letters, bullet points, slides are great for for visual learners. Having the conversation. Both parties are going to be triggered, right? So we need to work really hard to find that commonality. I like to open with gratitudes, with grounding, with um, something delicious we ate this week uh, to to humanize the conversation. And then we go into the script. So one of the points that I want to emphasize here is how much work is done before you get to the feedback session so that you're really uh, giving care to the person. And then once you get to the feedback session because everybody's going to be uncomfortable, run the script. (laughs) Stick to the script. It's painful, but it's very effective. And invite your your person, your human, um, to provide additional information to help you close the gap between what you expected and what actually happened. And then if it's possible co-jointly agree on a plan for course correction. If not, we can ask folks to think about it and then come back to the table once again, and then finally set a follow-up to check in and just really close close that loop. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything. Explore a new career that brings fulfillment, gives you a true sense of purpose and a bold community to do it with. Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training and community you will need to reach your goals. If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms, while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it.